So good morning. Last morning. Is everyone still standing? Standing. Sitting. You're standing. I'm standing. It's good to have you here. My name's Stan Granberg, and I, I have kind of some dual roles here. I'm on the board of the Heritage 21 Foundation. And this morning is about what the Heritage 21 Foundation does, and we have some other board members here. Mike O'Neill, who is our chairman, and Blair Bryan, Mark Wallace, and Scott Lambert. It's the, he's, he's in the hall. Scott's coming. If you, if you know Scott, he's always coming. Stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he will be doing. So we're, we're going to do a bit of a tag team this morning, and we want to, we really want to share with you a story, a story of our fellowship of the Churches of Christ. And I think we have come to that place where we are all very, I think, comfortable now with the sense that we are not the only ones going to heaven, praise God. That God's kingdom is bigger, his work is bigger. At the same time, we have been one of the significant movements of God in the 20th century in, in America and then around the world. And to see that growth, so here's a little perspective. I want to build a little perspective for us. That you know, we we're kind of familiar with 1906 is when we began to separate out of uh, the Civil War was finally making its way through our fellowship of, right. of disciples, churches of Christ. It wasn't a theological issue as much as it was a sociological issue. And, and the wounds were, were still separating us out. But in 1906, we had about 2,400 congregations that, that identified with this side of the movement that, that we have come from. Between 1906 and 1948, we planted well over 10,000 churches across the United States. That is an amazing number. By the time we ended 1948, uh, we were somewhere above 10,000 in existing congregations. So we went from 2,400 to just over 10,000. But we all know how things work, right, Tom? That not everything you start reaches to fruition and stays around. So it, it is a very solid number to say we planted well over 10,000 congregations. We hit our high point about 1985 with 13, let's just say 13,500 congregations. So if you think of that, in the 1906 to 48, we planted over 10,000. Between 1948 and 1985, we planted maybe 5,000. That should give us a sense okay. of what's moving here. So at 13,500, that's our high point about 1985. Here in 2020, we're just over 12,000 congregations. So here's, here's kind of the number here. Tim Woodruff and I have been getting together and uh, I wrote a, a paper on our growth history. It was published in the Great Commission Journal uh, last year and, and gives just a lot of the numbers. Uh, Tim has done a, a study on 50 congregations and their demographics, and then together we've done a, uh, a paper where we tried to look into the future a little bit to 2020. In 2020, uh, here's where we're going to be. From 12,000 churches, we will probably be at 2,800 churches in the year 2050. Yeah, 2050 will be 2,000. 800 congregations. So ask the question, what happens to all of those 9,000 congregations? Well, they're going to close their doors. Then the question is, how will they close their doors, and what will be the benefit of the kingdom, or will it be only a loss? And the Heritage 21 Foundation is here to answer those two questions. How can we take what is at this point, almost an inevitability. So here's why. John Hayward is a, a mathematician in, uh, in England, and he has studied religious move, Christian movements in England, 
and he has taken the numbers I gave him, and we, we ran them out, and the curve of the Anglican Church, of the Wesleyan Church, of the Presbyterian Church, and some others in England goes just as he's got them like that. And when he met the numbers I gave him, the numbers went like that. Like that. And here's some numbers that I want you to understand. I want you to know. So 50. If your congregation has a predominance of people, when you look out over the auditorium, if they are 50 years or older, that's flag number one. That's a red flag. Yes. They're 50 years or older. Just not saying that that's the average. Just we see a lot of white hair. Or we see a lot of no hair, one or the other, you know? Five. Five. If the majority of your people have been Christians longer than five years, that's red flag number two. Christians longer than five years. Number three. If they have been at your church longer than two years, that's red flag number three. Because it's, if the predominance of people are over 50, <clears throat> that means that we are a 20th, 20th century church and not a 21st century church. If they've, been, if they've been Christians longer than five years, they have moved past the, um, the excitement era where they are very naturally engaging people around them in the com inviting conversation into Jesus Christ. And if they've been at your church longer than two years, they've passed the inviting stage that's very natural to invite people with them into your church. And uh, is, uh, does it work in other ways? Absolutely. I mean, Gina and I have been Christians for years, but we invite people. We, we have those people in our churches. But these are the dominant figures that let us know what are the possibility of our churches existing well into the 21st century. If we have three red flags, the possibility, the probability is very, very low. And that just gives that big sigh. But God has used our fellowship. We have been one of the... There's only 21 fellowships, denominations, associations in America that have over a million people in them. We are one of those. We are number seven in the number of congregations right now, and that's shrinking, but we're number seven. There's only six others that have more congregations. That's more people. That's more spread. That's more footprint across the land. That's more of Joshua. Joshua, go and set your foot, because wherever you set your foot, I will claim that. And so we have a huge footprint. And we also have a heritage that has planted thousands upon thousands of new churches in the U.S. We've got some tremendous things for us, but we sit here at the decision point, at the fulcrum, at the leverage point of our history, where we can answer the question, Will we just go quietly into the night and let ourselves be immersed into the body of Christ at large? And there's a, a fair number of our fellowship that that is what they feel like. Or we can say, we'll just change labels. You know, we'll, we'll leave this label, go to another label. And, and oftentimes it's with our, our Christian church cousins because they're better off than we are, so we'll go get in theirs. They do have some things that they have done better and that God is using them in some significant ways. Or we can say God has invested himself in who we are. And he has poured into us his own piece of the story, that we are the story, and that we can grab hold of that again and say, let's, let's move ahead. Let, let's let God take us into the new places that he wants us to go. And so we, we have a, a storyline here. There is some inevitability to that storyline. Uh, all of those 8,000 churches that are going to close, it is almost inevitable that they will close. But the question is not will they close, it's will they close well, 
And what will their closing, how will they gift the future? Those are the two critical questions. Because if those churches can close well and gift themselves into the future, then what we will be able to see through new churches, because that's what it's going to take through new churches, is this number beginning to come up and we'll see a new wave arising. And it's in that new wave that we will get to see God at work in some extraordinary ways. Because he will take us on the journey of faith through his scripture that we have been so deeply connected with in this world. And that's where Heritage 21 sits. We are, we are trying to help our fellowship assess our heritage and to answer those two questions. How will we close? So many churches have been so faithful and accumulated so many assets into the kingdom of God. And then what will we do that will seed into a new future? Those are significant questions. I'm glad you're here to help us answer those questions. I'm going to turn it over to Blair Bryant and let him pick up some other parts of this story. In looking ahead, because what we're planning, we're trying to anticipate and plan for this curve. There could be two things that we're going to need. We're going to need people that are committed to go to those places and start those churches, to be a part of the evangelistic effort of what uh, the kingdom's all about. So we need people. The other thing is we need capital. That's a lot of capital we're talking about in regards to this. And so while we may have, and we're touching base with a lot of people, and some of these 2,800 that are here, hopefully we're contributing to help them actually stay viable for the future. And you're going to hear some stories about that today, how we're trying to make sure. But we see that there can be a lot of these churches that are closed. And one thing that I've come to realize, you got to understand, I'm a real estate guy. Mark Wallace over here, he's a real estate guy. Both commercial real estate, this is what we've done in our careers. And you go, why, why do we have commercial real estate guys up here doing this? Well, you know, I grew up in the Church of Christ Fellowship. And um, one thing that I've always understood, we always don't have a lot of cash, it seems like. We struggle with that. But we're really long on real estate. Maybe not because we planned to be, but because the market finally came to us. Because it doesn't matter which town you're in, which city you're in, we moved out to the suburbs and started building churches, and eventually the city came to us. And all of a sudden, you have these real estate assets that are worth an incredible amount of money. Let me tell you how much. This will astound you. When I said we're long on real estate, if you look at what's happening regarding this drop that Stan talked about over the next, what is that, 30 years? Okay. A billion and a half. A billion and a half, if I remember, if I've got my numbers here correctly. So we're, so we're talking phenomenal amount of resources on the capital side. And so our objective, can't we translate part of those dollars into church planting and evangelistic efforts and in reestablishing the kingdom work in a significant way? Yes. We can free up incredible amount of capital that can be redeployed. It's... This is so scriptural. It's the replanting yes. of the vine. That's what we're doing here. It's normal what we're talking about here. We just need to re be replanting much faster than we are today. So I'm going to tell you two stories to help you understand what we do on the real estate side. And they're totally two different stories. There's a church that's been around. I've known it for a long time. I live on the East Coast. Uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is in Nashville area. Hermitage Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. And Hermitage decided they wanted to get ahead of the curve. They could see it happening within the, the life cycle of their own church. And they said, we need to replant ourselves. And because why? Because they had this facility that they called an albatross, financial albatross for them. They were spending so much money trying to pour into their facility about six acres on a hill overlooking the town and a lot of older buildings, and they realized for us to even stay here, we're gonna to have to pour millions into it, and is that good stewardship or not? And they said, no, we need to figure out how to reinvent ourselves." And so they said, 
we're going to sell that real estate asset and we're going to go replant ourselves and then we're going to reallocate the dollars that way. Here's what they did and they said, uh, they contacted us and they said, how should we do this? And Mark and I kind of gave them some advice and they said, you know, and I'm telling you this because this is exactly what they said, look, if anybody wants to know how to do it wrong, we're glad to tell you because we did it wrong. And what they did was they said, we're going to hire our own guy from the church who doesn't have a lot of experience in real estate. And he's new. He, in fact, he used to be on the preaching staff, but now he's, in, he's just started got his license. And we're going to let him sell it because, and instead of driving the market to where they needed it to be, they in turn said, we're just going to let him handle it. And then, and we said, wait a minute, here's what we suggest you go through. We, Mark and I demystified the process of selling real estate. Uh, this is what we've done for 25 years, 20, 30 years over here. We know selling commercial real estate. It's pretty easy. We know how to drive the market to get the maximum value. It's just kind of what we do. We don't think anything about it. But anybody else we talk to, when you go into a church and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? How do we do this? I mean, it's pretty simple. And we kind of come in and we, and we kind of handle it. And so in this situation, they said, how do we, how should we do this? We gave them some advice and they said, we don't feel comfortable with that because we want to hire our own guy because it will help him in his transition from being a minister to being in, in his new career. And then we got a call back four months later when things were going awry and then six months later when it was going awry and then nine months later when it was going awry, 12 months later when it was going awry. And finally, we, they, they said, okay, we want you to kind of take more control over this and help us. And, um, and they closed recently, which is awesome. And they are so pumped, why? Because they're gonna be starting their new operation debt-free and not a lot of real estate hanging over their head. They've got this, as they called it, albatross off their back and they have a new beginning plus they're going to give, they decided as part of this, they're going to give a substantial amount of assets over to new church planting other places as well. So all of a sudden, we went from one dilapidated piece of real estate that was going to require millions of dollars of capital to continue to all of a sudden now we have multiple churches happening as a result of this decision. Praise God for that eldership who did a bold move before they got to a place where they couldn't easily make a move, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So while there's a, it's got a good ending on it, it was a lot of struggles though to get to that place at the end. Okay, the second story I want to tell you about is one that happened in Tucson with Mountain Avenue Church of Christ. Uh, also a church that I've known for uh, many years, uh, especially because of their bus ministry they used to have back in the 70s. They remember them in that regard. Great church. And, uh, they, but they'd gotten to a place where they realized that financially it was just not going to be sustainable. And once again, they said, how do we become the good stewards? That is a fundamental question in everything that we do, I think, as Christians. And they said, how do we become good stewards? And they said, we need to sell, we think, this real estate and we need to shut our doors and redeploy capital entirely. They didn't want, they, they said, long term, we want to figure out how to do a replant in our city but we, instead of taking those people out and putting them in a new place, they decided we're going to shut the doors and do a complete new start. And we want to redeploy this capital. And so they contacted us, and Mark went down and spent uh, a few days down there, and we quickly understood that we were going, Heritage 21 was going to need to step in financially for them. They deeded over the property to us. We paid the bills to keep power on, to keep water on, to pay insurance, to do all those sort of things, because they ran out of cash. And, uh, but they needed, they needed us to be the uh, financial arm to help them sell the property. And so we did that. They told us how, where they wanted the assets to be deployed and how they wanted the dollar to be used. So it's not us making that decision. We're just there to help them in the process to do what they feel is the right thing to do. And so we, so we basically came to town, Mark hired a local broker, uh, someone who had a lot of experience in selling churches, key issue. And then we properly managed the process through, 
And it was how many months, Mark? Um, about seven, eight months. Seven, eight months. Total. Total is sold. Which isn't long, right? Which is not long. And a, and a commercial real estate transaction that's very fast. So we got it sold very quickly. And part of our motivation was how do we sell this quickly to redeploy the assets for the kingdom of God? See, once again, different motivations. We felt the stewardship for that as well. And so, and so it, but it was an incredible success story as well that we were able to do. That gives you an idea of the roles that we can play in real estate. And once again, I don't want you to have a sense that we're saying, we are the greatest real estate people in the world. Instead, I'm telling you, this is not that hard. <laughs> and we can deploy incredible amount of capital for the kingdom of God if that's the direction that a church needs help with. And with that, I think I'm turning it over to Mike. That's good. Thank you. Mike gets you up know, here. If you want any of these papers, send me a text or send me an email, and I'll send copies of those papers to you. These are papers? Yes. Okay. Thank you. You know, um, I know, I guess we're through with that. I know these guys are Church of Christ. You know why? They're autonomous. They didn't stay with any of the slides. <laughs> We're totally autonomous. <laughs> you know, I just to add a little bit more overall perspective about Heritage 21, we truly are not here to tell our brethren what they must do. We are here to help them understand the risks that they are facing, the circumstances, and the options that might be available to them, and then help them accomplish their dreams and their visions as well as what can happen for the kingdom in the future. So, you know, these real estate um, options that we give to people, everyone is different. Um, we tell you, there, there are none of them that are the same. and. We're just here to, because most congregations do not have the expertise to really deal with that in the best possible way. And so uh, we offer that service. Another uh, area where uh, we offer help that is really uh, mostly Stan and Scott are our, our key people on that is to help churches to assess their circumstances. You know, what we're finding is that most of these congregations that are declining are not um, are not able to make good decisions for whatever reason and, and, and they're not pointing any fingers at any of that but it's just the numbers of decline the ages the emotions that are involved in these kind of questions um, there are just any number of reasons that makes it difficult for them to make good stewardship decisions and so helping them to assess where they are and literally to try to find is there a path other than closure that is good for this congregation? Is it possible here? As Stan indicated, it's not likely for mm -hmm. most, but we hope to find some of those that we can help and put in touch with other people that are in the church growth and in different functions. And so we partner with other groups to, to try to help churches do that as well. And then a third area that, uh, that we try to offer some help with is in the legal uh, area. And I did have a slide, but I'll just read a couple of things off of that slide. I'll find um, it here, Mike. I'm sorry. Well, it, it, it's not, not critical there, but you know, um, I mean, we, we heard Blair wonder why a couple of real estate guys are involved here. Well, I'm here to tell you why a lawyer is involved. I believe in grace, right? You believe in grace. All of us believe in grace. But if you're an attorney, you still have to earn your way back into the kingdom. So <laughs> those of us who are attorneys are working hard to try to get back in good grace. Okay? I, I know all of you have your attorney stories, and they're all true. <laughs> But I'm here to tell you, as a lawyer, that there is no um, ironclad way for the legal side of the matter to be absolutely certain that these resources that have been accumulated over time stay within 
our fellowship and, and the work of our uh, fellowship. And if we were a hierarchical church, uh, I could give you a different story on that, but we're not, and we're glad that we're not. We're autonomous congregations that uh, decisions are made locally uh, by people that are there. And so even though there are some things that you can do to help and to minimize the risk of loss of those assets, there's no ironclad way to do it because of our uh, wonderful autonomy uh, that we uh, do uh, have in the Churches of Christ. And so uh, we can help congregations, though, and I'll tell a couple of stories with this, but you know, to, to make sure that their articles of incorporation and that their bylaws uh, contribute as much as they can to the security and safety of those resources. But ultimately, people have to make decisions, and legal documents can be changed. And so um, there, you can't rely on that entirely. But if, if there's a message that I, as a lawyer, would want to give to my brethren in the church is that because of what we're understanding, the milieu that we're in of losing churches and declining churches and demographic changes, that we should do all that we can do. We should be good stewards the best we can to, to work on those. And we have, you know, just, just a couple of uh, things to say uh, what can be done. There have been uh, situations, and, and some of this goes back 25, 30 years ago, where congregations here in Southern California were in trouble, declining, and, um, and they were down to maybe 10 people, 15 people, 12 people, and sitting on this state, very valuable real estate, and people had the foresight to be concerned that, hey, what happens if we have a couple of families move away or a couple of untimely deaths? You know, you just can't predict those things. What do we do with that? Well, in, in those cases, we did things such as um, established a totally separate legal entity to hold title with that entity having governing, a governing body that was, uh, say, I, the, the cases that we did here in Southern California were like we would put five elders from different congregations on that board, just you know, for protection, for protection. But protecting that congregation also that wasn't ready to say, we're gonna close the doors. And so it was leased back for a dollar a year and they had the right to use it just as they had always used it, you know, until they decided it was time for them to do something different with it. And, and I know of three congregations that uh, the facilities were saved uh, in that fashion. And, and so that, that can be used. Uh, we're working with another congregation uh, that is um, a transient congregation, the military, you know, where people are just in and out every two or three years. And uh, there's a few locals that are uh, more permanent there uh, but worried that, well, it wouldn't take much, you know, with this kind of turnover or the closing of a military base or something of that nature until the risk, you know, is considerably higher. And so they're looking at ways to, um, to do that uh, as well, to do some kind of improvement of their bylaws, <coughs> improvement of their articles and incorporation that, that do some good things. Now, on the other side of that coin, we're working with a congregation right now that a couple of the people there in the congregation recognize they're down to about uh, eight or ten people, uh, again, here in California. And um, of that eight to ten people, one of them is an invalid that can no longer attend, uh, but they take the, the Lord's Supper to him and, and still a part of the congregation. Um, two elderly women one of whom can drive and the other one can't drive, but live in that community. And then two other families that drive into that community that have just tried to help make sure that church doesn't, doesn't die. And that's about all that's left of, of that one. 
But when I looked at their articles and their bylaws, they are so narrowly drafted that none of us could be a member there. That is true, if, if they knew what we really believed. And they were drafted uh, out of the 1940s or 50s, and, um, and they need a lot of work there. But that's a typical, the most typical thing that we run into in, in what we're trying to do at Heritage 21 is that the congregation has reached the point of dysfunctional decision-making. Wonderful people, people we love, some are neighbors, some are relatives, and, um, and can no longer make those decisions due to the emotions that might be engaged, uh, with that, that uh, my daddy started this church and I can't let it die. Um, but I don't think they've read Solomon, have they? You know, Solomon tells us sometimes that there is a time to die. And Stan has done a lot of research, and others have, on the life cycles of churches. And uh, one of our slides that we didn't use today uh, talked about the, those life cycles of church. It, it looks somewhat like some of these drawings over here. And, and it is not necessarily a, a, um, a judgment of failure every time a church closes. And even if it does, and it's been a failure of some leadership or some other issue there, that doesn't mean that we cannot today be good stewards. But getting congregations to understand that they are at risk and that maybe they need some help and advice and counsel from others, I think is extremely important. It is the hardest issue that the five of us have run into in dealing with churches because you've, you've heard those statistics that somewhere between 50 and 100 congregations every year are closing their doors in our fellowship. Not something any of us are happy about, uh, but how many of them are reaching out and seeking help, or on their own, in some cases, uh, doing a good job of finding better solutions? Let me give you one more story of another church that um, this congregation had been renting to um, another conservative uh, con uh, church uh, of a different, different name, but similar to us in many doctrinal ways. And their election was that they wanted to uh, just merge with that group, uh, which they did. Uh, spiritually, they merged with that group. But they also said in that process that, you know, maybe this doesn't work. Maybe, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, this uh, situation does not work and, and, um, and they decided that they're going to move on or the church is just going to die or they want to give it to you know, the, the Catholic Church or something. Well, they didn't want that sort of thing to happen. So they put in place some legal restrictions that we worked on which um, uh, burdened the real estate that basically says if, they, if that church goes away or meets certain other uh, uh, points of, of decline that uh, the property would be sold and the uh, proceeds would be distributed and they named about 19 different uh, church camps, uh, mission works, uh, different things that, you know, homeless shelters and other congregations and, and uh, educational institutions that they wanted to do. So. I just say that to say there are a number of ways that congregations can be helped to just make sure that we're being good stewards of, of all of that. Scott, let's let you come up and kind of close out what you want to say and then take any questions yeah. from, from all of these folks. Well, my role is cleanup hitter, and that's either I'm a really great number four batter in the lineup or I'm really cleaning up. I don't know which one it is. I, I like both ideas. Um, Couple of stories, and then we're gonna. We really wanted to save a lot of time for conversation and questions, and we'll we'll just have a pretty good open forum here. I think it'll be really fun, or, or it may not. Either way, I don't know, but uh, it'll be really good. 
Um, let me just step back and kind of give a couple, couple of big framing statements. Uh, we started Heritage 21, well, by now five or six years ago, I suppose, something like that. Four or five. Four or five, yeah, four or five years ago, out of, out of, out of a desire to, to, again, do all these things well, help churches transition well. And, um, you know, we're all Church of Christ folks, you know, and we love our fellowship. And we did it to try to create a resource base for next generation mission kind of things. And, and then I, I think there's another one, uh, a pretty high level of compassion. I go home to Redline, Iowa. It's my home church. It started in 1875, and my two great-grandmothers were uh, charter members of that, and, and I, I knew both of them. They lived into their late 90s, and there was such pride. This church was 10 miles out of town, and the town was 6,000 people. Okay, So we're not talking L.A. or anything. Um, that church is going still believe it or not out in the country but there are about 10 to 15 people on most sundays maybe 20 at times and my compassion is great for my home church so you can i hope you hear all three elements closing well a resource base for the future and uh, a strong sense of compassion and uh, that's how heritage 21 started as a, a need for our fellowship uh, it's not just the five of us. We've got ambassadors. We've been training people to help in regions. Um, we have lots of conversations going on. So we're still young and we're still early. And we've really had one church close. And I just thought it'd be a great way to kind of say, look at the future. Here's what we're talking about. Church that had declined Mountain Avenue. Um, um, and they got down to 50 or 60. 60 to 40, and began to want to have this dialogue with us. And that's actually an important number because I guess I'd say a lot of times when you get down to the 15 or 20, there's no one really left to make a good decision because the folks that can make the good decisions leave when it's 60 to 40, right? I mean, now here is an anonymous story. I began to work with the church within 300 miles of here. How's that? Is that good enough? <laughs> And, and when they got down to that level, all, everything stopped because one guy who was in his late 80s had been the financial banker for the church, for a, the, the, the finance chairman for a long time. He hated the conversation. The vote would have been five to one to close the church and begin to do something healthy with all these things. But he had all the financial records locked away and no one else could get them. And he told me, he said, I'm gonna die with these if we do this. And literally they couldn't close because one guy was holding them hostage. And that's what begins to happen when these three conversations get out of whack in a local church. You know, Another one, within 300 miles of here, um, they were down to four people, mom and dad and daughter and son. Those were the four that would come on Sundays. They were the four officers of the church. And when the dad died, um, he was in his late 80s, I, I went to visit him because we were talking about all these things. And, and the wife, uh, who was also 85, said, I'm so excited. There's some irony in all this, too, this particular story. I'm so excited. We have rented the church building to the dance studio next door, and they preached against dancing their whole existence. So there you go. <laughs> and she said, I am getting... $3,000 worth of income every week now so I can continue to live. I, the IRS would have a heyday with that. She would spend her last few days in jail. Okay, and that's what begins to happen when there's not a place in a, in a way to kind of work through these kind of things. Mountain Avenue is a great uh, final story here. Just kind of thinking around numbers there. Property, I think it sold for 1.3, 1. yeah, something like that. But round it down to a million, just because it's easier numbers. 10% uh, came to Heritage 21 to help this thing get started. Because our passions have come out of church planning, so we want to see that, 20%. Um, what we're asking churches is 20% to 
to go to church planting. But Mountain Avenue was pretty super sweet. They had some things that they, the local camp, the campus ministry, those two things. They they wanted some money to go to that, but they wanted most of their money to go to start new things. And so now there are there's money earmarked for what four churches, two interns, and a church plant back in Tucson. Isn't that awesome? Um, Boston, uh, yeah, yeah, and. Right? Isn't that exciting? Yeah. You know, that's that legacy piece. San Diego, San Diego with Carlos and Gina and the, the cycle. See, that's, that's the way it should be. Tom, a Tennessee guy. Uh, when we took the Church Christ directory a few years ago and plotted all the churches in Tennessee, at that time there were 1,400 churches of Christ. And just for fun, I kind of, we went back and looked at how many of those started before 1850. Okay. That's the heart of our fellowship, right? Cane Ridge. Hundreds of churches just within those first 40 years just exploded across Tennessee. There had to been hundreds from our fellowship. That's true. That's true. Out of 1,400, I could find 20. Okay. Okay. It's the nature of the life cycle. That's true. Most churches just live like us, 60 to 100 years. And so when I began, just this is a very personal comment here. Redline, Iowa, my home church. Um, when I began to normalize that churches live and die like we do, but the kingdom of God goes on. That's not an issue, right? The kingdom of God goes on. I began to say, I think we can live and work peacefully in our souls in this conversation. Helping churches assess and realize and compassionately help them find their way forward. Um, get ready for questions and answers. Uh, there's a lot of humility in this conversation, and the five of us board members have a lot of humility in this conversation. Uh, someone told me yesterday, that a church that I've been talking to for a couple years, and uh, the young man told me, he says, yeah, the board just thought Heritage 21 was after our money. And kind of, we both kind of chuckled because, you know, that, that was what it felt like, I suppose, at one level, but it we talked about all these things, compassion, what do you do? You're in an auditorium with 400 seats and you're, there are 18 of them. In a very large metropolitan area, what do you do? The, the deciding board, the people were 93, 85, two people in their 90s and a person in their 60s, what do you do? And so it's a, it's a humility conversation for all of us because you could hear it sounds like we're just after people's money. We're not. We're about investing it back into the kingdom of God. So that out of the Mountain Avenue uh, legacy, there'll be hopefully new churches coming. Uh, so what did you hear? What do we want to ask? What do you want to talk about? Um, I probably would say that if you got a church that says, this church needs to die. Don't give us any names here. Come and talk to us afterwards. <laughs> let's have some propriety there. But in general, man, let's have a a humdinger conversation. I'm going to call out uh, Teller. Teller, why did you come to this class? That's a great question. Uh, You're the new campus minister at the University Church at Pepperdine University, which way I love you. So here <laughs> my old row. Why, why did you come to this class? At the well, it's not because I think that the University Church is dying. Um, it is, however, we've been seeing um, you know, a, a dip in attendance, basically, or uh, pretty much from families, um, we're not having a problem with students, which, you know, should be obvious why here, but uh, definitely the people who aren't students, we've got a lot of those red flags that Sam just mentioned. Uh, a lot of older older folks who've been around forever, and uh, I just saw the title of the class and thought, hey, there's an opportunity to maybe get um, just some insight on, um, you know, what, what could be for mm -hmm. our church and to set the future of our church here. Amen. Uh, Stan, yeah, okay. Uh, Tyler, here you go. Uh, University Church of Christ, who, which is my home for 23 years. Uh, you know, probably about right here. And, and if there isn't some sense of renewal, right? But it, I have to normalize that, take away the emotion, and say, in 20 years, 
if, if there isn't some sense of renewal, the church that I love to death that I brought all my kids up in and stuff goes, it's the nature of the work. It is. Thank you for being a wise young leader. Hey, hey Stan, why don't you talk about, I don't know if you mentioned the name, but there's a church that you were working with. You were just telling us about what happened on Easter Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's an example of us dealing with churches at different levels in this cycle. Mm -hmm. yep. This is a, a church that has never been huge, but has been, uh, been active. They had found themselves down in this zone right here. And they said, we, we're not ready. They're about 45-ish average on a Sunday morning. But when Gina and I first went and did an assessment of the building, as you walked around the building hut, this is an abandoned building. Nothing is going on here. I mean, it was, it looked abandoned. And so we began to work with them and they have been moving over the last uh, six, nine months now. And Easter Sunday, they had 120 people. Mm -hmm. They haven't had 120 people there. They can't even remember the last time they had 120 people. <laughs> they are very excited because they're beginning to see, I think we can do it. And that's a church that was in a, a good place, had a, a base of people that they could work with. And there wasn't any great conflicts in there. It was more of a, we just bubbled down to a general maintenance and we'd get together and do our own thing. And now it's a reawakening to what God can do. Amen. Very exciting. So there, 5% can do that. And, and we, we're feeling like that's one that can beat the odds and be a 5%. If we can get a few more of those, maybe we can begin to raise those odds up. And, and that's why we've uh, really decided to be strong about compassion and uh, telling the truth. It's gotta be a little of both. People need honest assessment. So when we first started, this is always kind of our joke a little bit. When we first started, it, when Heritage 21 showed up, it sounded like, some of the older ones will get this, Brother uh, Kevorkian, remember the suicide doctor? <laughs> Looking for the last vein yes. so we can get your money. And boy, who wants to visit with those folks? Um, so we have said, that's not our intent. We want that church who I've loved for a long time, you know, and my college roommates, one of the ministers at that church you just talked about, okay? We want it to grow again. And so that's part of our dream for Heritage 21. And I would say growing. also fellowship education. Yep. I want to stress this. We're seeing that there, this, what we're talking about here, the word need to get out and people need to understand uh, and have tools and have a, and have a resource. And once again, because we are autonomous, it's amazing how few resources we have that are available. And so we're trying to, you know, it's just, okay, there's a gap here. Let's figure out how to step into the gap and try to help any way we can. I just want to say, I want to say that uh, the six of us, Gina and those of us who've been up here, we're going to hang out afterwards too. We didn't schedule anything if you got a question you want to talk about on the side. But let's get busy with questions. Why? I don't know time for the whole scenario talk. I, uh, you just got some quick advice. Our church was formed in 1846. We're in Dallas, Texas. Um, we came from the, the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, and then when the instrumental thing happened, um, churches in this in that area split with two different parts of town. So our church is technically this particular location. We've been around since the, I guess, late 1800s or something. Church has always been probably a little over 100 or like it is now, which is a little under 100. And my wife and I, uh, we came into the church about nine years ago. Uh, I'm the minister there now. And uh, we came off the mission field from Japan. So we weren't really aware of any of the uh, recent movements in America and whatnot. We just kind of came in ignorant and uh, just joined the fellowship because they asked us to, uh, to do that. So in the nine years I've been there, probably more people have died than we've added membership, you know, so we do see the, the numbers dwindling, right? So I didn't know what I was getting into today, so I just came here, was not thinking that my church was dying, but now I'm hearing things that kind of like, I'm wondering if I need to, I don't know if this is a God thing that he brought me here today to help me look into that, but we have Home Mission, have you heard of that group? Um, we haven't had elders for six years, because when we first came on, Nine years ago, there were two elders. One passed away, and our fellowship is they want one elder, so he stepped down. And the guy that was an elder, he didn't really feel like anybody else was qualified at this point. So I've been feeling like we need to get back to a biblical structure if we're going to have a thriving church, and I think eldership is something that should actually take place, right? So home mission 
is now working with us to reestablish elders. But I'm, I'm coming in here today wondering if we're spinning our wheels. Uh, we're probably at around, on an average Sunday, 70, 80 people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not you know, down in the 40s and 50s yet, but the church is really old, like a lot of our fellowship, right? So we don't seem to be able to get young families to stay. So is that a sign that maybe we should start preparing? I mean, we've obviously been around for 172 <laughs> years, so they've been doing something right. But and, and I know that's a Lord thing, but at the same time, I don't know where my church fits in that particular graph, for example. Where, where am I at? Should I even be thinking that? Should we, are we renewing to some degree because we've kept the numbers at about where they're at? Or Mark, are you blinded by you know the fact that you're too hopeful and you're not seeing the handwriting on the wall? So what would be your advice to a church like mine that doesn't really know uh, where we're at right now? I'd say a couple of things to that, Mark. Um, one is, I don't think you need to wait till you're 70 or 80 to start worrying about these things because, uh, you know, most of the churches that are now 40 and 50 were 70, 80, 100, 200, whatever. And so uh, I even, I, I attend probably what's the largest acapella church in the fellowship. And I think it even ought to be thinking about life cycle of its church. So certainly you're at a stage where you need to think about the things whether you, and whether you can renew. But I meant to, to mention to you, I, I brought about 10 copies of, of this. Um, Tom Rayner, who does a lot of church research and some of you have read his work, has published a little book called Anatomy of a Deceased Church. You may have seen that. And he examined, what was it, 50 churches or something of that nature that had, had died, and they just kind of did an autopsy on those church, churches. And he came up with 10 signs. Stan mentioned a few of them when he was talking a few minutes ago. But he mentioned 10 signs that are danger signs that people ought to look at. I, let me just quickly read those, and then if you want a copy of this, I've got a few of them. Slow erosion. That's pretty typical. The past is the hero. The past is where they're living. The church refused to look like the community in which they exist. The budget moved inward instead of outward in its reach. The great commission becomes the great omission. The preference-driven church. How many of us know congregations and people and churches that preference is really the highest value? Pastoral tenure decreases. The church rarely prayed together. The church had no clear purpose. And the church obsessed over the facilities. Now that's, I mean, this is not biblical in the sense that it's uh, inspired, but very good signs for us to look at, which says there's danger ahead. And we ought to be, if, if there's four or five of those things that, that affect us, then uh, I think we're in some kind of a danger. And so, yeah, I, I think you should be thinking about those issues and hopefully thinking about and, and getting resources to see if we can do one of these curves, you know? That's what you would hope might happen. Uh, to the congregation because wherever you are there are people who need Jesus you know and if we get back to the great commission about what we're really here for and I've, I've recently come to the conclusion that one of the worst things about our fellowship in terms of how we have prepared our people is that we don't we don't realize this is not our home that we, we get tied down to this real estate or to this community or whatever and don't realize this is not our home. We ought to be thinking about, you know, uh, whatever we have here, whatever time we have, whatever health we have, whatever resources are at our command, you know, just to be used temporarily before they burn it. And we find so many of these people that are so attached 
to this world and this world's things that they're unwilling to, to think about other options uh, to be used. And I, I don't offer that as a conclusion to everything, but I just say that's what we're running into with all of these people that they're in so many of these places that they're, they're so connected here that they can't see the bigger picture of the kingdom and the yeah. bigger picture of why we are here as people. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least that's, that's coming around to my thinking. So. Mm -hmm. so just for, for Mark and, and others to know, we, we have an assessment weekend mm -hmm. yeah. that we use to come in and, and to help bring clarity of reality. And we're looking to see what our next possible steps. And from that point, uh, churches have those decisions, but we have a year's process to help churches move. We call the first move, move from maintenance to mission. We have to move from internal to external. We have some moves in very specific ways to help churches learn some new skills, learn some new activities. So we did. We invite you to uh, talk with us about, a, about an assessment we can. We have church counselors around the country that are ready to come in for that weekend just help us see where are we at what can we do how can we get there and here's just 21 and, and don't we want to educate and don't that. be afraid of knowledge information and understanding helps you be better stewards of what you what we're all about and it's it's also amazing how people are afraid to get information then they'll have to deal with it well, <laughs> this is like power this is, this is so you can be a good steward. Yeah. And what we don't want to be is the, the steward who buried the talent. Yeah. 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 Guess yeah. what? That was in real estate that he buried the talent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, don't want, I don't want to have that conversation before the master. Before the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, and none of us do. Yeah, man. Let's, let's figure out how to multiply our fellowship in a major way. Y'all need to contact us. Um, yep. Our website has contact information on it. It has some of the things you've seen today. Um, we do have 30 ambassadors scattered around the country of church leaders and servants that um, can help. And uh, we'd just be glad to hear from you if we can be of help. Mm -hmm. We do not go and press ourselves on anyone. We come by invitation. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the only way it really works Amen. so invitation I keep looking at the clock if you see me looking up that's what it is hey Mark so I talked about being normalized and maybe unemotional in these conversations until you, until you meet a real church in person and then all of a sudden we all join you in the emotion of where you're at thanks for being bold and talking about it here's my invitation uh, down this hall and kind of in open space are lots of big chairs to sit around. So uh, we all made a pledge to not um, do anything this next hour. So if we want to sit and visit a while, that would be good. So I just invite everyone to the, the conversation of assessment and the future and all those kind of things. Believe me, it's with humility, with great humility. As we've been getting into this, we've been realizing what an emotional conversation this is for all of us. You know, I, I've heard it all the time, and I say it myself, I don't want the church to die on my watch. And I've kind of begun to think to myself, the church isn't going to die on your watch. That's God's work. Now, the church morphs and changes as it goes and all that kind of stuff. Tom, there are 1,400 churches of Christ in Tennessee that morphed out of all those churches in the 1810s to the 1840s. God's kingdom's fine, but our incarnation of it does sit with us. God bless you. We love you guys. And for you to come to this class, there was a purpose to come into this class, Keller. Thank you, brother. And to everyone. So we honor that, and uh, we're ready to be in colleague together. May I end us in prayer? I would love that. Father, with all these conversations, um, our hearts... Don't, we don't know what to do with our hearts sometimes. Um, it'd be easy to be in the prophetic voice and be mad, or in the pastoral voice and, and comfort ourselves. So the answer to that continuum is yes. How do we live in that continuum? 
and we ask for your grace and mercy on this conversation. But we also ask that you give us a strong sense of future vision and the things on this board in 2050, and I doubt I'll be around to see it. But we pray that from our fellowship, we can be useful in growing new churches and helping in your kingdom, God. I don't think anyone here feels like we're the only ones going to heaven anymore. We just feel like we want to be useful and helpful to you. And so that's our prayer today. Thank you for this group. Um, it's a thoughtful group, I can tell. And so give us the further conversations and opportunities to go deeper. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Pepperdine. And we pray that in this new administration with new vision um, will come a continued and maybe renewed love for our fellowship. And may Pepperdine be a big part of the future of all of this. Use us as you would. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, everyone. Hey, we're, we'll go down the hall and get out of class here and go sit with anyone who wants to do this.